Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. We are continuing in a series on the difference that the mercy of Jesus makes in our lives. Um, it not only is what accomplishes our justification and our adoption, these things that just are declared true of us and that really are what fit us for heaven, but it also transforms us here on earth so that our lives become a, a mirror so that other people can get a view of God's mercy, not just to us, but also through us. And really a, a profound way that people can see God's mercy on display is in how, how we do conflict, uh, how we avoid quarreling, but instead learn to engage uh, with one another in uh, ways that are respectful and merciful and kind and uh, compassionate, those, those sorts of things. Um, something that, uh, <laughs> well, this is a good sermon for me to hear this morning, not just to give, uh, and maybe that's true uh, for you as well. Um, before we, we launch in, I want to read to you a um, some rules. Uh, this is, this is uh, a list of kind of the do's and don'ts at Rigid Rules Presbyterian Church. Um, maybe you've heard of this congregation. I don't know. Um, but this is a church where if you're going to be a, a member at Rigid Rules Presbyterian, you are not allowed, uh, you're not allowed to go past the first row of chairs here. You all have to stay back there, right? So only, only the, the truly holy people can come forward. Uh, so just mind your, your place and stay back there and you'll be fine. Uh, at Rigid Rules Presbyterian, you must attend church, especially on Christmas and Easter, the, the high, you know, holy days for the church. And if you don't come, you're excommunicated, you know. Uh, and if your kids get sassy uh, in Sunday school, if they're mouthing off and we hear back from the Sunday school teachers, they're excommunicated. Your kids, that is, you know. Uh, so at Rigid Rules Presbyterian, it's a fun church, um, you're not allowed to wear, um, you, you've got to be mindful of your, your fashion, no wool blend sweaters, and no alligator skin boots, just so you know, those are off limits, don't come in with those. Um, number six, I, I forgot to mention, these are kind of the Ten Commandments, you know, of Rigid Rules Presbyterian, uh, you've got to have the same haircut as the rest of us, just keep that in mind. Uh, number seven, these get a couple, of, a couple of things that we're just, we're trying to be intentional about our diet, so you're not allowed to eat cheeseburgers. Uh, hamburgers are fine. Cheeseburgers are off limits. Uh, and don't even think about bringing a seafood gumbo to the, the lunch next weekend. No seafood gumbo. No, no shellfish. You know, none of those things. Um, nine and ten uh, really have to do with kind of the, the, the authority structures here at the church. The elders are going to periodically do home inspections <laughs> to make sure that your, your home is in order, that it's not a mess, uh, that there's no stuff growing in the corners um, or mold you know, anywhere. Just keep, keep a tidy home. And we're going to need to see your medical records uh, before you can become a member. It's just, it's just protocol, that's all. But if you want to be a member at Rigid Rules Presbyterian, these are the things that you've got to do. Sound a little crazy, right? Um, more on that later. <laughs> let's stand and whoa, let's stand in honor of God's word. I know. 
All right, let's, uh, I'm going to read verses 13 through 19. This is Romans 14. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Father, would you bless the reading of your word this morning? Help us to receive it, help us to believe it, um, and help us to live it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> we're going we're gonna to talk about freedom and boundaries uh, this morning, and then we're going to um, look at some of the ways that we can determine whether or not we should do something, say something, you know, partake or abstain from something. Uh, and then we're going to switch gears from the boundaries of what uh, love looks like to uh, really the, the blessing um, that our freedom can bring to others. Uh, so just as a little bit of review, if you're just joining us last week, we were looking at the previous verses that gave us three tests, three um, questions to be asking uh, as you consider, all right, given the fact that I'm no longer under the restrictions of Old Testament uh, ceremonial codes and uh, civil laws, etc. Um, so if I'm sort of free, uh, how do I gauge whether or not something is, uh, is permissible in light of the fact that there are some things that Paul's pointing out uh, to the church in Rome that are in the, the, the category of opinions, where these aren't right or wrong, these aren't black or white, they're gray, and they're up for grabs. And people are free to, to have differences of opinion, um, but they're not free to quarrel about it, and they're not free to, to judge one another, they're not free uh, to... Um, you know, to not value their brother or their sister who has a different opinion. So along those lines, just look back at verses 5 and 6. Paul says, The one person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. And he's referring to some of the uh, ceremonial laws, customs that, that the Jewish background Christians in Rome would be thinking about, they've grown up with, and they're thinking, well, of course you're going to keep Yom Kippur. Of course you're going to keep the Passover. You know, who wouldn't? That's the way, that's, that's how you live for God. And so Paul's saying, well, you know, to a non-Jewish background Christian in Rome, they don't have to do that. So don't judge each other uh, for that. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Again, that eating versus abstaining is referring to more of the dietary restrictions from some of the Old Testament codes. And those with Jewish backgrounds are going to have different diets than maybe those that are coming from a non-Jewish background. And conflict can ensue. 
Paul's test in those, three, in those two verses really comes down to three things. The first question is just, is it, is it lawful? So where Paul in verse 5 says each one should be fully convinced in his own mind, he's referring to, you know, fully convinced from what? From this, you know, from, from the Bible. Um, do you have a biblical reason uh, for what you're doing or not doing? Be convinced from, you know, God's word. Second question, not only, you know, is it lawful, Paul talks about each person, whether they're partaking or abstaining, doing it in honor of the Lord. Is what you're about to do or not do a way that's going to bring honor to God? Will he get glory through what you're doing? Will people see that he is great and good uh, through what you're doing or not doing? Third test that Paul gave is, is it... um, is it, am I thankful, is, is a better way to phrase that. So, you know, both people are giving thanks. One person's thanking God who's partaking. The other person's thanking God who's abstaining. And, and, and all three, all two are, are, are uh, thankful. But all three of those rules give us an idea of how we're supposed to think about some of those questionable behaviors. Paul says two things in other, other letters in the New Testament that teach us what this tension is about. How do we live inside that tension. On the one hand, Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, everything God created is good. Everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Wow. That that covers a lot of ground. Everything is to be received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So on the one hand, that sounds like there's just this remarkable, boundless freedom you know, that, that Christians can, can partake in, given at least those first three things, you know, am I, is it lawful, is it honorable, am I thankful? And on the other hand, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, that the love of Christ controls us, it constrains us, it, it hems us in, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, meaning Jesus, and therefore all have died, all who put their faith in him. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So on the other hand, you know, you've got this one sense where there's this incredible freedom. And on the other hand, where we're constrained. We're constrained by God's love. And I no longer live for myself. I live for, for God. We're no longer living for ourselves, but for him who, for our sake, died and was raised. We're living for Jesus. And so, yeah, we get this wonderful freedom. But Christianity is not an excuse to just self-indulge. Christianity means that you've died to yourself, and you're living for Christ now. And keeping those two things in tension is really important. There's, a, there's actually one more thing that we need to look at. And I want to, um, yeah, let me turn this on first. So there's this question about how do we exercise love and freedom? How do I enjoy the freedom of the gospel in ways that are loving, uh, ways that demonstrate my love to God because I'm constrained by that? But one more thing, you know, as you think about those, those, those three questions, what they do is they start to, to create boundaries. So on the one side, you've got the question, is it lawful? And then you've got another boundary, you know, on the north there saying, all right, is it honorable to God? And then, you know, on the other side, you've got the third boundary that we said, am I thankful? In this passage, Paul's talking about one more boundary. See if you can 
Here what he's talking about in, in um, verses 13 through 16, he says four things that you're supposed to avoid. In verse 13, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Don't, don't make judgments. We've talked about that last week. Uh, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Don't trip up your sister in her faith or make your brother stumble. Uh, look at the second half of verse 15. He says, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. That's really strong language that we'll talk about in a second. And then he continues and he says, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Four things to avoid doing. And then verse 19, he sort of wraps it all up and then um, turns it upside down and puts it positively instead of negatively. Verse 19, he says, Lynn, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. This is the fourth question to be asking. You can sort of sum that up in one phrase. Is it helpful? Am I helping my brother or my sister? Does this pursue peace or does it you know, create war? Is this uh, building up my brother or my sister or am I tearing him or her down? And when we keep these four questions in mind, you get green space. Uh, those boundaries create this green space. We can frolic you know, in that green space. We can play, we can work, we can talk, we can uh, be in relationships and friendships and marriages and parenting and you can do recreation and vacations and free time. You can do education and sports and drama and government and you know, music and everything within that green space, keeping in mind you're free and you're constrained. You're both, because you're not under the law, you're under love. And love does no harm to its neighbor. Love brings glory to God. Love is thankful, et cetera. We'll talk some more about that in a second, but I just keep that green space in mind. So those are the boundaries. Let's talk about the blessings of freedom. Paul talks about walking in love. He says in verse 15 that if your brother is grieved by what you eat, then you are no longer walking in love by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. There's that uh, strong language again. Um, Paul's been talking about love. If you're going to uh, enjoy your freedom, if you're going to live responsibly in the gospel, then what that's going to mean is that you're going to be walking in love. And if you're not walking in love, you're, you're, you're abusing the freedom that God has given you. Uh, you're no longer putting uh, the concerns of your neighbor first. Uh, and Paul's been driving this point home ever since chapter 12, where he says, love one another with brotherly affection, even outdo one another in showing honor, you know, kind of make it competitive. You first, no, you first, you know, back and forth like the little chipmunks. Uh, I can't remember their names. Chapter 13, Paul goes on to say, oh, no, in anything except to love each other, because love is the debt that you can never fully pay. You always can love more. You're always under obligation to love more. And he continues and says, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So walk in love, and if you're not blessing your brother or your sister, you're not walking in love. Uh, he goes on to say, we'll look at this in a couple of weeks after our 15th anniversary, uh, you can look at verse, uh, in, in chapter 14 down at verse 20. Uh, 
He says, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for it to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Wow, all right. We're supposed to walk in love. We're not supposed to make our brother or sister stumble. And yet, we've been given this incredible freedom. Everything you know, that God's, that's created by God is good as long as it's received with thanksgiving. How do I enjoy my freedom and yet walk in love? What about, what about my freedom? I mean, come on. I, I'm, the gospel set me free. I, I'm not under the law. What about my rights? And we love our rights. Absolutely love our rights. In fact, we put a bunch of rights right in before the Constitution. We say, this is my declaration, right? These are my rights. And, um, and let's talk about some of, those, some of those rights. Let's talk about the First Amendment. You know the First Amendment? Freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, all those things are, are wonderful. And it's, and thank God we live in a country where those things are protected, you know, legally and across the board. But just because we have a right to something doesn't mean we have to exercise that right. Just because you have a right to something legally, even, maybe even the, the nations blessed your exercise of that thing. Do you, act, do you know that there's actually something larger than the Constitution governing you, and it's called the gospel? You're first and foremost a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and then you're a citizen of the United States. And so the gospel tells you you're supposed to, you know, you enjoy freedom, but you're also supposed to love your neighbor. And so what if... What if in the exercise of your First Amendment rights, you think freedom of speech? I can say what I want. I'm an American. And then you go, hmm, but is what I'm about to say, is it honorable to God? Is what I'm about to say, does it pass the Thanksgiving test? You know, like we say grace before a meal. You thank God. Thank you for providing this food, you, you give me good gifts. Please bless it. Help, me, help us to serve you. Thanks for the fellowship of this table, etc. Can you say that similar prayer even over the words God's about to put on, you know, your tongue? He gives you every breath. Are your words something that you can legitimately be thankful for? And then are your words helpful? Uh, to the Ephesians, Paul says, you know, don't let any unwholesome or corruptible, literally the word is decaying talk, come out of your mouth. Don't let anything come out of your mouth that's going to bring decay and corruption and, and tear down uh, your brother or your sister. Instead, let, let only the words come out of your mouth be those that are helpful for building others up according to their need that it may benefit those who listen. That, that's, that's what should govern what we say, what we don't say. Is this constructive? Is it going to build somebody up? Um, now, that's not to say that, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. That's a lie. Um, you, you don't have to just say insipid nice things all the time. You can say things that are hard truths to hear, but you have to say them with the, the concern for your neighbor's welfare and blessing first. Not just so you can get something off your chest. All you want is to get something off your chest. That's about you. That's not about the blessing of your neighbor. So before you 
post whatever it is on Facebook, before you tweet whatever it is you're about to tweet, before you, you know, say whatever it is you're about to say in the heat of the moment, check yourself. Pause. Is it lawful? Is it glorify God? Am I thankful? Is this going to help? Is this helpful? First Amendment right. You can say whatever you want. But is, is that really what love is going to look like, what you're about to say? Let's talk about assembly, too, since we're still on the First Amendment. You're free to, to hang out with whoever you want, right? Um, and that's a good thing, and, and we enjoy fellowship, and we enjoy you know, being together. You enjoy uh, social time with your friends, etc. I can't tell you how many times, though, um, you know, I hear, whether it's uh, people at church, uh, my kids, whatever, because of the way, the nature of social media, you, you're always feeling left out. You always feel like somebody is getting together, having fun here and there, but you didn't get invited, which, which actually makes it much more, um, much harder for us to, uh, to keep this law of love about assembly. You know, think about if you're getting together, inevitably that excludes somebody. Now, it doesn't mean that you just give a blanket open invitation to everyone at every time, but it does mean that you've got to be wise about what you post. Who knows that you're getting together? Are you being exclusive? Are you being cliquish? Are you, or are you really demonstrating the welcome of Jesus to the people around you? At school, at work, at church, all these different you know, arenas are an opportunity for us to either demonstrate you know, the love of Jesus um, and to demonstrate his welcome or to demonstrate you know, a, a self-interest that's not going to be helpful for building others up. Um, so some First Amendment stuff, right? You want to talk about Second Amendment? You all know what the Second Amendment is, right? Who doesn't? Come on, uh, right to bear arms. It's actually the right to, to keep an armed militia. Um, and... Okay, so what does this look like? And let me step on some toes. If you are a member of the NRA and you've got that sticker on your car and if you've got that um, concealed carry permit or even an open, you know, whatever, let me just ask you uh, and, and put forward, what should come first? Is it your right to bear arms or is it your obligation to love your neighbor? Now, let me warn you, that's not a false dichotomy. That's a continuum. So what would Paul do? What would Paul do in that situation? So Paul, if he was uh, going to preach a series of sermons up in, the, in New England, he would probably uh, leave the gun at home. If he was going down to the Deep South and it was, you know, the Hunters Convention and he's about to give the gospel, you know, message there and Duck Dynasty guys are there, he's going to be packing heat. Because he's aware of who, who's out there, who is potentially going to be blessed or offended by what I'm doing. You can't make everybody happy all the time. But that doesn't mean that you're not under obligation to be considerate, to consider what are you doing, what are you not doing, and how does that potentially bless or tear down my neighbor. There's another part of the Second Amendment that we need to talk about. Because, as we said, ultimately, the Second Amendment is about the right to keep an armed militia. Because our, the framers of our Constitution were mindful that, you know, governments can turn sour. And governments can get tyrannical. 
And the people need to be constitutionally protected so that they can defend themselves against tyranny and oppression. You've got the right to keep a gun to defend yourself. And you've got a right to say whatever you want to say, back to the First Amendment, this is where they overlap, you've got a right to say whatever you want in defense of yourself. Just because you have that right, do you need to exercise that right? Just because you have the right to, you know, give that awesome comeback, uh, that zinger, whatever, you know, whether verbally or, again, you know, that text or that message or whatever, do you have to say those things? Do you have to defend yourself? Do you have to put up your dukes? Do you have to, you know, maintain that cycle of conflict? We all do this. I do this, you do this. What would it look like to put down some of those arms, put down some of those weapons, put down some of those words, and instead do what's going to eliminate the conflict, bring blessing instead of cursing, and see what happens as God gets glory uh, through how you're thinking about your engagement with one another. Is it lawful? Is God going to get glory? Am I thankful? Is this helpful? Um, one more amendment, and then I'm going to move on. Do you all know what the 21st Amendment is? 21st Amendment, um, well, the 21st Amendment's unusual because the 21st Amendment's the only amendment that actually negates a previous amendment. Um, the 18th Amendment was passed uh, after, uh, to, uh, and then the era of prohibition ensued. Um, and then the <laughs> 21st Amendment came and said, nope, that was a mistake. Um, we're going we're gonna to erase all that. So the 21st Amendment means that you have a right to, to drink alcohol. Paul mentions alcohol. He's gonna, we're going to look at it again in a couple of weeks there in verse 20. You know, it's not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Are you determined to insist on your right to that glass of wine or that beer? Or are you thinking, no, something greater governs me? And if this really is a problem for my brother or sister, yeah, I, don't, I don't need to drink. It's okay. Um, the gospel frees us from the, the, the constraints of the law, but it also puts us under the constraint of love at the same time so that we don't destroy our brother or our sister. And 1 Corinthians 13, you know, Paul's saying, talking about love, right? You hear this at weddings. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. does not insist on its own way. Insert the word freedom in there. Your Christian freedom should be patient and kind. Your freedom does not envy or boast. Your freedom should not be arrogant or rude. Your freedom should not insist on its own way. And maybe you're sitting there and you're going, man, so what does this mean? That this, this means that I have to to stop doing all the things I enjoy because so-and-so has this scruple about this, that, or the other, and pretty soon, you know, anything that you enjoy is, is you're, not, you're not allowed to do. In, in two weeks, we're going to talk about what's sometimes been called, and I like this, the tyranny of the weak. One person is super fundamentalist, conservative, whatever, and just kind of makes everybody miserable because everybody, you know, he's thinking, well, everybody's got to bow to my weak conscience and you know, and so on. We'll talk about that. But, but don't go there too quick, you know. Oh, good. <laughs> I've got relief from what makes me feel uncomfortable about, 
the rights that maybe the gospel is calling me to lay down sometimes. Ultimately, what we're talking about is how does faith work through love? How does the gospel teach me how to love? In verse 14, Paul says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. And when he says verse 14, you've got to think of two groups of people who are listening to this. You've got the weak brother who thinks we should abstain from all these things, and the strong brother who says, hey, we're free in Christ. So to those who feel they must abstain, the weaker brother among them, they're hearing Paul say, hey, everybody, nothing is unclean in and of itself. It's okay. And then to those who feel like, you know, they're free to partake, uh, Paul is also saying, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. He goes on in verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, both, both groups of people, again, what about those who feel like they have to, have to abstain? What does this say to those who are, you know, dealing with a weak conscience? Well, it means that your rules, all the things that you're doing to try to, you know, please God and to, to stay in line and make him smile at you, those don't matter anymore. The kingdom of God is not about your rules. The kingdom of God is about how Jesus brought us peace and righteousness um, it's, it's Lent, um, and if you get the weekly email, um, you saw the, the greeting from Wednesday. It was Ash Wednesday. Uh, I'm giving up beer for Lent. So noble. Spiritual stallion, I know. Um, but that's just going to be this good reminder for me, uh, I, you know, a, a deliberate uh, emptiness in order to make room for more of Christ. That, that's what any kind of fasting is supposed to do. Uh, so, but for those who think that, that it's somehow more noble, more religious to, to abstain not just from alcohol, but from, you know, um, I'm going to abstain from lima beans, and I'm going to abstain from country music, and I'm going to abstain from, oh wait, I don't like those things anyway. Um, those don't, that doesn't really fit the bill. Um, that is not what makes you acceptable before God. The kingdom of God is not about your rule keeping. The kingdom of God is about Jesus who kept the rules in our place and your faith in him means that you are now accepted and God looks at you as if you had never, ever sinned in your life. That's what it means to be justified. No condemnation. Free. Clean. Because of what Jesus did for you. The kingdom of God is not about eating or drinking but about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What does that say to the person who feels free what that means is that the kingdom of God is not about your rights. It's not about you proving yourself. It's not about um, you having uh, self-fulfillment. The gospel frees you to love God and to love others. Ultimately, the gospel frees us to, to be like Jesus. The gospel frees us to take on others' burdens. I love the the bulletin cover, uh, I found this picture, uh, I've never seen a four-person piggyback, but there you've got one kid, you know, bearing the burden of three other kids, and the second kid bearing the burden of two other kids, and the third kid bearing the burden of the runt on top, uh, and, and they're enjoying one another. There's a, there's a fellowship in bearing one another's burdens. There's a concern for the other's good that, that, that I think this picture really represents. And then you got the kid in the background. <laughs> I don't know. He's just kind of doing his own thing. 
He sort of seems happy, but I bet he kind of inwardly wishes he was maybe on top of that pile. Not alone, not free to insist on his rights, but in community. This is what Jesus demonstrates for us. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is the freedom that Jesus demonstrated in Galatians 4. For when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. When it says that Jesus was born of a woman, it meant that he was fully human. That he, he confined himself to a human body, limited in ability, vulnerable in every way. He would get stomach aches. He would get headaches. Maybe he got back aches. Growing up in his father's workshop, studying to be a carpenter, he would get splinters. He would get blisters. He would suffer. He would get sick. Ultimately, you know how it ends. Ultimately, he would suffer to the utmost, not just physically, but spiritually. Considered trash by humanity and rejected as, a, as the epitome of sin by the Father, the Holy Father. And, and he willingly took that on himself, he who was immeasurably free, God eternal, was constrained to that circumstance. He laid down those rights. Why? so that you and I could experience redemption, so you and I can have peace with God. So he was born of a woman. He's born under law. He was born under rigid rules Presbyterian church. Those are all Levitical codes. Deuteronomy, Leviticus, the ceremonial and civil laws of the Old Testament that Jesus kept. He, he said, I'm going to endure no cheeseburgers, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this certain, I'm going to endure restrictions on what I wear. I'm even going to endure um, that the priests could come in and declare, I, you, there's mold on your wall, and therefore we have to declare this house unclean, and you've got to leave this, or, you know, you've got some kind of weird-looking thing on your top of your bald head, and, you know, you're not allowed to come into the temple presence anymore. Jesus came under the mosaic regulations limiting his diet, his time, and his freedom. He would keep kosher, he would keep the Sabbath, he would keep the temple liturgy, all so that he could fulfill all of the law for us in our place. This is the same one who, before Pilate, on trial, enduring all of that humility, said, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Why did he give up that kind of freedom? Why did he lay aside those kinds of rights? To give us peace with God. To redeem us. Use your freedom to bring others peace with God. Do what you do with a mindset to win others to Christ. Become all things to all people. Go outside your comfort zone because that's where the lost are. To bring people peace with God. Why did Jesus do this? To give us peace with each other. To give us the gospel that teaches us that I've been forgiven. 
far more than I can imagine. I can forgive my brother or sister who's, a, you know, created a small offense in comparison to what I've, how much I've offended. He did this to give us peace with each other. Use your freedom to pursue that peace with one another. Lay aside your rights. Put down your weapons. And love one another. Why did Jesus do this? He did it to build us up. Instead of to destroy us, instead of tearing us down, he built us up. Use your freedom to build one another up. Let's pray. Father, we need help to do this. Uh, This doesn't come natural uh, to the human condition. Uh, This requires a supernatural work of your Holy Spirit to make us new creations who would joyfully set aside our rights, set aside our freedoms for your glory and for the, the good and helpfulness of another. We pray that you would show us more and more of Jesus who willfully laid aside every right in the book, every freedom that was infinitely his, he laid aside so that we could have peace with you. So we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the peace that he gives us through the gospel, for the forgiveness of sins and the newness of life that are ours in him. And Lord, we pray that you would make this uh, church and all the members and attenders and people who are guests with us, Lord, make each one of us more and more a reflection of your mercy. We pray in particular for several families uh, today. We pray for-